Thank you for tuning in to episode 14 of Adversity University, and welcome to class. Today's guest is an absolute giant. I really don't know how we're going to find anyone bigger than this guy. I mean, the record for most Stanley Cups won is 11, and he's won 10. So that right there tells you that this guy was a true champion. He's done it as a player, as a coach, and even as a scout. So he really knows what he's talking about. He's seen all all aspects of this business. Garrett, what did you think about Larry Robinson? Yeah, I thought Larry was a good guest. Um, It was really cool to talk to him and just kind of get the insider's perspective, um, you know, on what it takes to win a Stanley Cup. And we even briefly touched on that special team they had last year in St. Louis and going from last place to winning the Stanley Cup. So, uh, like I said, it's cool to just get an insider perspective and, um, you know, even hear Larry's story of his playing career and, Uh, Although he was very successful and won 10 Stanley Cups, there still was a lot of adversity that he had to go through and overcome. So it was cool to hear his side of, um, you know, the story. Yeah, the game certainly changed a lot from what we know it now. He back then wasn't even making enough money to pay his rent playing in the NHL. So there were a lot of hard times he had to go through. But what I really appreciated was how humble and how down to earth he was. Garrett and I talk about it amongst ourselves, how celebrities are really just regular people you know they're just like you and me and it's always great when someone who has achieved so much still realizes that and can still just have a humble down-to-earth conversation with you so it was very interesting to learn from him and let's kick it on over to larry robinson for all you listeners out there that don't know where garrett and i began our hockey journey it was with the colorado rampage where a list of other notable alumni also began their career as young student athletes the Colorado Rampage AAA hockey program is currently accepting registrations for their tryouts and identification camps to find elite players and people looking to play AAA hockey and take their career to the next level. The Rampage play in the Tier 1 Elite League, which is one of the best AAA leagues in the country. This is where your players will get to showcase their skill in front of scouts for the best junior teams, colleges, and even professional teams in North America. We would encourage anyone between the ages of 12 and 18 who are looking for a place to develop and start their hockey career the same way we did to send an email to play AAA at coloradorampage.org to get more information. That's P-L-A-Y-A-A-A at C-O-R-A-M-P-A-G-E dot org. You can also visit their website at www.corampage.com. Be better today than you were yesterday and join the herd. Today's guest is an absolute icon in the sport of hockey. He has won the Stanley Cup a total of 10 times. He won six as a player, three as a coach, and once as a scout. His first Stanley Cup was in 1973, and most recently he won it last year with the St. Louis Blues. He was a two-time Canada Cup champion. He ended his NHL career with 208 goals, 750 assists, and an astonishing plus-minus rating of 722, which is the most in NHL history since the stat began to be recorded. He and Nick Lidstrom shared the NHL record for most consecutive playoff appearances as he never missed the playoffs over his 20-year career. He was selected to 10 All-Star games. As a coach, he was the first ever interim head coach to lead his team to a Stanley Cup championship. He won the Norris Trophy as the league's best defenseman twice. He won the Conn Smythe Trophy as the playoff MVP in 1978. His number 19 is retired by the Montreal Canadiens. In 1998, the Hockey News ranked him the 24th best hockey player of all time. He was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1995. Thank you so much for coming on Adversity University, Larry Robinson. 
you're right. It, it was very long. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you achieved yeah, quite a bit. Uh, well, I've been very fortunate. Very fortunate. I've played with a lot of pretty good teams and a lot of pretty good hockey players. So, oh, That's awesome. So what was it like growing up in Winchester, Ontario, and how did you get into hockey? Growing up in Winchester, well, that uh, actually Winchester is the the only uh, hospital in the in the area, so that's how um, I got to use uh, Winchester as one of my uh, my birthplace. Uh, but uh, really, I I born up in, I was born in a little place called Marbleville, Ontario, which has a population of about ten, fifteen, or whatever. It's uh, it's basically all it was was a little um, uh, store general store um where everybody came to pick up their mail and buy groceries and everything else and just down the road from that was a school a public school where you had grades one to eight all in the same in the same uh, room and um and then my dad's farm we had, my dad was a dairy farmer so we just lived down the, the road from that so basically got to walk to school every day but um, I didn't play any organized hockey until I think probably around the year or what's I was seven or eight. So that would have been around 1950 or is that 58, 59. And um, there was a little a town. There was two towns there. There was uh, Russell, Ontario and Metcalf, Ontario. And they were probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 miles apart. And uh, back then you were sponsored by the uh, Lions Club. And so the Lions Club would supply you with your socks and your sweaters, and then uh, you had to bring all the rest rest of your stuff. So I, I started playing organized hockey in Russell, Ontario, and um, grew up there. And we we had really, really successful uh, uh, peewee and bantam teams. It was kind of the same group of guys that I went to school together or uh, lived in the same area. We played uh, softball together and that kind of stuff. And so we had a we had a pretty good uh, peewee team. We went all the way. Uh, we were uh, uh, natural. Get this one. We were natural ice champions uh, in Cornwall, Ontario, at a big tournament there because we didn't have artificial ice back then. So, uh, And then we got to play against Cornwall uh, for the, the, the whole championship. And uh, we ended up beating Cornwall 2-1 to one in the final. So uh, that was my my first real big championship uh, win as a, as a youngster. And that's really kind of what got me, got me interested and got me going in hockey. And then I just followed it up. You know, I, in between doing your chores at home, you, uh, every Saturday, you got to go down and play in a, in the house league. And, and then from the house league, you, we had all-star, uh, all-star teams and the teams went around to Smith falls and all the local, uh, uh, arenas around to, to play in, in different tournaments. Can you briefly explain what you mean by the naturalized champions? Does that mean it wasn't in like a rink like we have today or? No, it, 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 natural, it was natural ice. So if it wasn't, if it was warm, you didn't have ice or, uh, so the, the ice was put in as soon as it got cold enough, they would bring, uh, snow in from outside and then, um, you would have, one or two guys uh, packing down the snow and and uh, somebody else wetting the snow until you got a base and then you just kept adding water and water until you had a nice uh, nice sheet of ice 
And so we just, all the ice that we played on was, was naturalized. There was no artificial uh, freezing to it. it. We just had, we had to depend on the weather. Thank God it's not uh, today because if you had to depend on the weather, you'd never get to play. Yeah, no kidding. It's so hot. You would never get to play. Yeah. So I was doing a bit of research, obviously, before this, um, and I was reading that your nickname used to be Big Bird. So how did you get the nickname Big Bird? Well, it was given to me, um, I, I want to say it was, it was around in the 1976 playoffs um, because the, the guys that really started it were the Flyers. You know, they had Big Birds, Seleski and Hound Dog Kelly and so on and so forth. And somebody was doing an interview with uh, Serge Savard and uh, they were talking about, oh, what do you think of all these nicknames and so on and so forth? And um, so Seleski's hair and my hair, uh, we were kind of the same build and we were, our, both of our hair was all over the place. And, and so uh, Serge just mentioned, hey, we've got our own Big Bird. We've got Big Bird Robinson. So <laughs> that's how it kind of kind of stuck with me. That's awesome. Yeah. So being from a, a small town, they didn't have all these draft rankings and, you know, years in advance, no. you almost know who's going to go now. Um, you were selected 20th overall in the 1971 draft. Were you surprised to be picked that high? Uh, I was surprised to be picked at all. Uh, I mean, I didn't know what I was getting into. Um, I went down to the draft with um, a nephew of mine. And um, back in the day, there was a famous, uh, famous brothers, they're called the Duncan Twins, that played for the Inkerman Rockets. And Erwin uh, Duncan is a, is a relative of mine. And so uh, him and my dad went, uh, went with us down because he knew a little bit more about how the draft went and so on and so forth. And back then they had the draft in the uh, Queen Elizabeth uh, Hotel in Montreal. And uh, so I kind of walked in there and, oh, it, you know, it re um, I, I often mention it reminded me because growing up on the farm, uh, we used to go on, I think it was, Wednesdays or Thursdays used to have the sale barn where, where, where all the farmers would go and take their cattle and calves and that for sale. And so, so when I walked in, I said, holy mackerel, this reminds me of a, an auction, an auction place. Because the place, of course, back then, everybody smoked. So the place was filled with smoke. You could already see across. And all the teams were kind of sitting in a semicircle. And uh, I think Clarence Campbell was the, uh, the president back then. And so he was kind of running the, running the show. And, um, and then I just kind of waited around until my name was called. And, uh, and actually, I was 20th overall, but I was the sixth pick that Montreal had back then. They had, they had five, five picks before me. So wow. the first pick, was, uh, first pick was Guy Lafleur. Second pick was Murray Wilson. Then there was Bob Murray. Uh, Michelle DeGuise, uh, one other one, I can't remember the other one, and then myself. So Multiple Hall I, of Famers in one draft, not bad. Yeah, but I was a little disappointed at the time because, you know, Montreal had probably six, seven, eight, eight guys that were capable of playing in the NHL at that time. You know, you, you, know, you had uh, J.C. Trombley, Guy Lapointe, uh, Serge Savard, Terry Harper, uh, Jean Guy, uh, yeah, J.C. Trombley, um, who else would have been there? Oh, uh, Bob Murdoch. And then, then they traded when they, uh, with the Guy Lafleur trade, they also got Dale Hoganson. 
and um, and we also got no price. So um, I said, "Oh crap! I'm I'm never going to get in." You know, I mean, I mean, there's six, seven, eight guys. So it uh, it worked out great because I I did I ended up going to uh, Alfax and playing with the Voyagers down there and uh, Claude Ruel and and um, Al McNeil, who was the coach back then. They worked. Uh, I mean. Uh, Claude Ruel was on the ice with us all the time, you know, and and, uh, and Al being a next defenseman really really helped. And then uh, also my room my roommate was Noel Price, who was about thirty. He would have been like 35, 36 years old at the time. So he was a he was a great guy that that helped me and showed me the ropes and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so I learned a lot because we had a, a relatively old older team back then and we uh, actually we ended up winning the calder that year as well yeah you just mentioned it but there was obviously eight capable defensemen uh in montreal when you got drafted there so yeah. if you could go back and give advice to your 19 year old self that's trying to make the opening night roster what would it be i wouldn't have made the well that's just i it wouldn't if i went back and tried to change anything there's nothing i would change because uh um they, they, Montreal believed in, in, uh, bringing along their young guys slowly, you know, not just, it's not like today where, uh, they just, if you're a first round pick, you know, you're kind of thrown to the wolves. Um, they, they wanted to nurture you and, and, uh, you know, teach you the ropes and so on and so forth because the, and, uh, if you look back, you know, like Guy Lafleur, his first year, he struggled, he struggled big time. He, uh, he ended up actually taking his helmet off and he thought that, you know, that would help. But I think he only had like 20 goals his first year. And then, then of course, you know, he progressed after that. But uh, a lot of the guys that came up through the ranks, uh, Murray Wilson was with me down in Halifax that first year. So we want to, we, you know, we want to call her together down there. And then he got called up the second year, but that's, that's just how it was. So it didn't, I, it didn't matter what I, what I did. It, I wouldn't have been able to change anything. So you were only 19 at your first NHL training camp, and you were yep. also already married and had a one-year-old son to raise. The yeah, players, I, were, the players are not compensated nearly as well as they are now. What did you have to do to play the game you loved and still put food on the table? <laughs> well, it wasn't easy. Uh, again, you know, we uh, there was probably f 14 or 15 of us that uh, lived in the same complex uh, down in Halifax. Well, actually, it was in Dartmouth, which was across the, the bridge. And, uh, you know, so, um, like everybody else, we, uh, traveled together and, um, I mean, a big, a big night out was maybe, uh, having a steak maybe once a month, but, uh, I grew up on, uh, craft dinner and what have you, everything just to try to make, to make ends meet. It wasn't, it wasn't easy. As a matter of fact, uh, at the end of that year when we won the Calder Cup, I didn't have enough money to pay for my last month's rent. So I ended up working for the Department of Highways when I got home to pay my last month's rent. So that's that's how underpaid we were. It's pretty crazy to think about that. Like, just imagine, you know, LeBron James having to get a summer job working on the highways to pay his way. <laughs> yeah, I know. What, I, uh, you know, what, what would you think? What would you think I, uh, I made my, my first year? Total? I don't even know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I would hope 
over 10 grand, but doesn't sound like it. 7,500 bucks. Wow. That was my first, that was my first contract. Was it because you were a rookie or was that pretty typical for all the players back then? That was pretty typical for most of the players. The, 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 the players that were, uh, were in, uh, Al, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who used to be the head of the, uh, NHLPA, Al Needleson. If you were in Al, Al Needleson's group, you, you maybe got a little bit more money because, um, Van Boxmeer, uh, was drafted and he was one of Al's, Al's, uh, clients. He got drafted, I think, two years after me, and he made a hundred grand. And that's only two years later, so wow. wasn't much. It wasn't much. Quite a, quite a bit of growth there, obviously, in just a couple of years. But you <laughs> played in you played in Montreal for seventeen years. Uh, yeah. Then they decided not to resign you, and you eventually signed with the LA Kings as a free agent. What were your yeah. feelings on not being able to finish up your career where you had started it? Well, uh, to this day, I, I, I regret it. And yet it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because, uh, those three years in LA, um, you know, it, uh, it gave me a chance to go back when I uh, retired and I ended up uh, coaching there for four years. So, um, it was, uh, I, I don't know. It was, it, it was a good thing, but I would have liked to have, started and finished my career in the same spot but uh the thing was is that uh Serge only wanted to he was the the GM at that time and he was only willing to to give me a one-year contract and uh so I said well what happens if I want it well that's all we're willing to pay you right now and so a friend of mine and I we said he you know he said well why don't you why don't you try calling LA so uh Bruce McNall was there at the time so we called Bruce and talked to him on the phone and, and he offered me a three-year contract. And then if I didn't want to play my third year, he was still paying me half of my contract. So it was kind of a no brainer. So that's uh, what I ended up doing is I ended up going uh, to LA and the rest is history. It was, it was fun. I mean, I had, I had a great time in LA and uh, got to play with some great, well, of course, Gretz and, all the great players there and met some really, really nice people. And actually my daughter and her ended up meeting her husband there and she still lives in LA. So it all turned out for the best. Yeah. You mentioned playing with Wayne Gretzky and that initial transition seemed to be a little difficult. Do you think it was playing with such a big name? Maybe the big change of scenery. Um, did you lose any confidence in your game and how did you eventually turn that around? Yeah, uh, yeah, I I did lose a lot of confidence in my game, and then uh, I have to give credit to Rick Rick Wilson and uh, Rogi Vasha, uh, who called me into the office and they said, "Listen, we didn't bring you here to play like Gretzky. We brought you here to play like the way that we know that you can play. So forget about trying to play their style and whatever. Play your style." And and uh, that to me that helped me helped me out immensely and I, I felt a lot more comfortable. And once I got back to my own game, then, then I was fine. Then, then, I, then I had, you know, three, three fun years and at least I became more, uh, more productive and, uh, and was better help for the, uh, for the young kids there. And, uh, especially Steve Duchesne, who I played with and, uh, and then Charlie, having Charlie Huddy come over and, uh, Tommy Laidlaw and everything else. It just, it solidified, my thought of 
my thoughts and the way that I should play. And, and uh, so it was a good thing. So I, I have to thank Rick and Rick and Rogie for doing that for me. Yeah, I know as a player, sometimes when it's not going well and nobody's saying anything, it's really hard. Um, yep. Something that can really help is just a coach coming up and saying, hey, you're, you're overthinking it. Just go out there, have fun, play the way you can. And, you know, the stress is just lifted right off your shoulders. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes uh, other people, uh, you know, and especially Rick, because uh, I, uh, when Rick uh, was, uh, came to Montreal, he was, uh, he played with us in Montreal for a while. So I, I knew him, I knew him then. And, uh, and so then when I got to uh, LA, it was a, a great transition for, for me because him and Cap Raider were, uh, and still are great, great friends of mine. So uh, it always has, it always helps to have somebody else because you, it, I'm a very poor judge of how I play and, and what I do. It's, uh, it's so much easier, you know, from somebody else looking at you and saying, Hey, this is what you're doing wrong. And this is what you should do. And, um, I never liked looking at tapes of myself because I don't know, I just felt I always feel, and I still do feel uncomfortable watching myself play because I'm very critical. Do you think that, uh, it was, you know, when you went to LA and Wayne Gretzky had so much success playing that offensive, do you think that's the reason that it kind of changed your game at the very beginning until someone told you to go back to your style of play? Or what do you think it was that that determining factor that made you change initially? Yeah, I think, I think it, it was more that I, uh, I tried to play a more offensive style and, uh, and it's, and it's different. The, the people that you're playing with as well, you know, in Montreal, uh, I played a certain style because of the type of players that we had. And we were a uh, think defense type for, uh, team first. Whereas in, in LA, it was, it was, you know, everybody go. I mean, it was all about scoring and putting on a show and so on and so forth. So uh, I think I got a little more caught up in that. And as a result, especially as a defenseman, um, when you get caught, I mean, you're the one that looks like the, the guy that's uh, screwing up out there. And uh, it's, it was just a question of not, you know, not changing my game to suit the way that they played out there. Sean loves to say, uh, and not that you did, but don't compare yourselves to others and kind of stay your own course and stay on yep. your own path. And I think that's kind of a great example of that. I think that you possibly may have gotten away from uh, you know, your style of play and what made you successful because you saw that someone else was having more success in a different field um, or aspect of the game. Um, and Sean can attest to that, but he always loves yeah. to talk about that. Just, you know, staying within your own self and trusting your own process. Oh yeah. That's, that's probably the best advice you can ever get. Be, be the player that you are. Don't try to be somebody else. Uh, you do it. Do if you, if you're a, if you're a good defensive player, then play, you know, good defensively. Um, I, I even talk to the guys now in St. Louis when I'm, you know, I'm talking to Petro and, uh, and Perienko and, and those guys, you know, I, I try to tell them, you know, you know, just be, be, play within your, play within yourself. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to be something that you're not. And, uh, you know, they, they appreciate that. And I think it's, it's probably comes from, somebody telling me that a long time ago and probably was Al McNeil was the, the first one. Uh, when I first started um, my very first year, he called me in and he goes, listen, you're six foot three. And I, I, I didn't weigh 
you know, what I did later on, I was still a kind of a skinny kid, but he goes, you're 195 pounds. He said, you know, if you don't use your size and you don't play with a little bit of an edge, he said that, you know, these players here, these, these are pros now they're going to take advantage of you. You got to stick up for yourself. You got to stick up for your teammates and you got to play, you know, an aggressive, uh, not offensive style, but you got to play aggressive out there. Don't, don't second guess yourself. And that's, that's the, that's probably the best, the best advice I ever got because in hockey, uh, if you think about something, it's especially now it's so fast, it's, it's too late. You got to, that's what makes our game so special is that it's uh, read and react. I think another reason that that's really good advice is because especially at the higher levels, teams are assembled with roles in mind. So yep. when you bring in a defensive guy, you're expecting him to kill penalties, block shots, do all those little things. And then he starts getting away from that because he's focused on the wrong things. It really just throws everybody off. So focusing yep. on your own game is important because that's what you excel at. And it's right. what, you know, the staff expects from you. Yeah, exactly. I think, again, uh, make a good comparison. Last year, last year when uh, Craig Berube took over as uh, the coach and everything, I think that was one of the first things that he did. He solidified about the way that we play and got everybody on the same page because you can't have certain guys doing it one way and another certain another bunch of guys doing it another way. You, you have to pull that uh, wagon all in the same direction. And it comes down to what you said, you know, you have uh, guys are put in, in different situations. And then that's another thing that he did. He, he put guys in to have success, not to, not to fail. And, uh, and I think a lot of coaches, sometimes they, they expect these young kids to go in and do certain things, but you've got to put them in situations that they're going to have some success. And through success, you, you gain confidence and through confidence, you, uh, you, you better your ability, and uh, and uh, that's what that's what happened with our club. Our our club just had confidence in each other, and everybody knew what their role was, and everybody went out and played their role. Yeah, you mentioned last year's season, obviously very successful, and that was the tenth time you had won a Stanley Cup. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you had won it as a player, coach, and scout. The first time uh, was after a good part of the season you had spent in the minors, and had only played thirty six NHL games. Do some of those yeah. championships feel better than others, or does the feeling of winning Stanley Cup never change? Well, the feeling never changes, but there's there's definitely special ones. Uh, you know, your first one is always was always special because I I, I kind of come in. I actually did I didn't even play in the first round against Buffalo, and then we had a couple injuries, so my uh, introduction to the playoffs was against Philadelphia Flyers. And um, I was fortunate enough in the second game to score the overtime goal. Otherwise, we would have been down two, two nothing, uh, leaving Montreal. So uh, that one was kind of special. But the uh, '76 uh, beating, beating the Flyers four straight is always, always, always has, and always will be my favorite. And then, of course, last year. I mean, what else can you say? You know, you're, it's the first, first in their history. Um, after coming into the NHL, uh, just to be part of it and see the city and the way the city got behind the team. And it was just, it was really, I mean, it's something that you could write a book about because, uh, we, you know, we went from them talking about us, uh, you know, having the first pick in the draft because we finished last, uh, you know, to winning the Stanley Cup. So 
we came from uh, you know the zero to the top so it was it was truly one that uh for all ages and and uh it was a lot of fun and a lot and very 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 special yeah last year's stanley cup is probably the best example i've ever heard of of adversity and never giving up being in last place in january to winning yeah. the stanley cup do you think that there was a cultural change or was that culture always there of never giving up and something else clicked uh i think i think the culture changed um i i i thought uh, at the time um we weren't i mean it's not that guys didn't like each other it just there there was uh, there was little factions going around you know like a certain group here and a certain group there and nobody really like we weren't pulling in the same direction and uh and i, I have to give uh chief that a lot a lot a lot of, well not just chief but you know uh all the coaching staff for a lot of kudos um, for that because uh they 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 got everybody together and if there was a problem he jumped on it right away it wasn't you know wait until tomorrow he uh, you know he he got he got a hold of the problem right away and got rid of it and he got guys believing in each other and uh, in the end we had an unbelievable dressing room it it was just uh i mean all for one and one for all and it was funny because you know uh, when the before the playoffs started you know everybody's asking me you know what's it like and so on and so forth and and so i i'd try to tell them little stories and and not get them too too nervous before it all started but um uh it was i i tried to i tried to bring it to them about what it what what it took and i think the i think the main i think the main topic was is that you have to when the playoffs start you've got to give everything that you have uh and not worry about don't worry about tomorrow don't worry about yesterday just every shift play it like it's your last shift and you've got to be able to go and be willing to go through the wall for that guy sitting next to you or that guy on the ice with you and uh, <clears throat> and it's it really comes down to is that you got to be a family and, and families don't let each other down and families are there for each other and uh, i think that was the biggest thing uh, that changed with our club yeah you t- talk about playing every shift like it's your last and it's funny because in all sports you'll see as soon as a team gets down and the clock starts winding down there's that extra surge that extra push it's like if you could just have that intensity for the full 60 minutes, you'd never lose a game, right? Right. So that mindset is so important. Yeah, oh yeah, mindset's good. But if you really think about it, it's, it's almost physically impossible to have that same energy for, for 60 minutes because hockey isn't like a football or, or baseball where you get to breathe in between uh, pitches or in between plays. That, you know, it's constant. It's constant. And you, you've got to, you know, you, you've got to give your 30, 40 seconds and then get off and then give the next guy coming on a chance uh, to do his thing. Um, and don't, don't think that you got to do it all yourself. Uh, it, it, it's a team game. And, uh, and that's, uh, that there's, a, there's a, a really good saying. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know who thought of it or whatever, but uh, individuals win um trophies and whatever but teams win championships and and that's kind of the mindset that we took 
There's a lot to be noted from uh, that team last year that won the Stanley Cup. I mean, one thing, I'm a goalie, so you talk about Jordan Bennington's story and overcoming adversity. I mean, he he was, you know, supposed to be sent to the coast, and he told them no. He ends up getting loaned to the Providence Bruins, and you guys end up beating uh, the Boston Bruins in the Stanley Cup. Like, there's so many crazy <laughs> stories that go there, and just what a what a story of adversity. I'd love to talk to him about uh, – you know, just going through that and what was going through his mind and the confidence level that he had in himself and his ability to be able to bring that team from last place, uh, you know, to end up winning the Stanley Cup. Just what an unbelievable story. Well, he's he is a special, special kid. I mean, uh, I love the kid. He uh, I mean, nothing, nothing phased him. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I, I saw him get mad once. Uh, it was after that, uh, the overtime goal. The one that uh, against Saint, uh, San Jose when they kind of passed the puck with their hand, but everybody was upset. I, me too. I was really, really, and and to be honest with you, it was again. It was Chief. It was Chief that came in and goes, "Listen, guys, you're going to have adversity," and even I got caught up in a night. And as soon as he started talking, I said, "Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right." But he he had everybody calm down. There was no way in hell we were going to lose that next game in San Jose after that he said we've got to take this and use it as a positive for us and use it uh, to uh, make us uh, go harder and uh, and that's what we did I mean that we just we totally totally dominated the the Sharks in in um, in San Jose after that it was it was uh, just a unbelievable moment but again getting back to it we don't we don't win the cup without without Bennington just, I mean, he was that good. I mean, he made some saves that you just shook your head. And, uh, I, and I think he gave those guys in front of him the confidence. And uh, it was, it was something to watch. It was, it was great to be part of. Yeah, he definitely had that chip on his shoulder. I think his famous interview quote, uh, do I look <laughs> nervous? Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And it was at the parade, too. He, uh, he said that they kept that they kept uh, asking him questions all the time and and uh, I won't repeat what he said but it was so funny the guys were just laughing I'll tell you what was it now you wanted to see emotion I'll give oh, you yeah. F and, I'll give you F an emotion <laughs> yeah that's awesome I think one thing to be noted too though and obviously I'm not in the locker room with that team going on but I can only imagine that Jake Allen was a great teammate um, yep. and he never wavered in his ability either and he was always ready if he needed to, you know, be called upon. And he showed up every day with the same attitude and same mindset. And I think that it's arguably harder to do that. I mean, I've never been in a situation, clearly, of trying to win a Stanley Cup. But me and Sean have talked about it before, too. And when you're in that second spot, sometimes it's hard to show up to the rink every day with a great level of enthusiasm and commitment to making your teammates and your team better. Um, yeah. And from what I've heard, he's an unbelievable person, too. Sure is. Sure is. That's, that's uh, very well said because, uh, um, you know, Jake could have, you know, put it, got it, as you said, put it, got a chip on his shoulder and, and, uh, threw in the towel or anything, but he was, he was a great supporter for all the guys. He was there in practices, taking the shots, taking the extra shots, whatever you want. No, I have nothing but the utmost respect, uh, you know, for Jake. Jake's Jake is a pro true pro. So there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of help your teammates out during those dog days of the season. And 
Some of your former teammates have said that you were a bit of a class clown and someone who kept it light in the room. Uh, did this approach help keep you loose? Yeah, I, I, I didn't want, as soon as I tried to get serious, I get too nervous and then uh, I'd just be a ball of nerves. So I tried to take everything light and, uh, you know, joke around and, and uh, keep everybody loose. Because uh, you could, I mean, you can see it when you, where I, where I sat in the, in the dressing room in Montreal, I sat actually right beside Patrick Waugh at the end. So I got to see everybody except the, except those that were behind that big pillar in the middle. But, um, you know, I could tell if, if guys were getting, getting nervous and, uh, you know, so I, 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 me, myself, I, I can't say it was just me because, uh, Gail Point was kind of a class clown too. And the two of us, two of us had, uh, tried to out, outdo each other a few times. But with different stuff, but um, you know, it's just the way I've always been. I never, never try to take anything too serious. <clears throat> For those people that don't know, you were very into the sport of polo. Um, and yep. during the 1987-88 season, you missed 27 games due to a leg injury sustained from riding horses. What did yep. What did management say to you about that? Never said. They didn't really say anything. I I, I think uh, polo, especially in Montreal, Canada wasn't a very, very well-known uh, sport. It's more uh, popular in uh, South America and Argentina and Southern Florida. So not everybody knew what was going on, but uh, it was a weird end. It was my own fault. I probably would have come back even sooner, but um, when the injury happened, I got my leg uh, got squashed between two horses that were going full speed. And um, so I ended up... Uh, uh, fracturing my tibia plateau. So uh, I got off the horse. I knew I was hurt. I got off the horse and then I kind of walked around a little bit and I said, oh, I'll be all right. And so I wrapped it myself and I got back on and I played two more periods, uh, what are called chuckers, but um, that displaced the fracture. And so when the game was over, I was sitting on the end of the truck and I took the bandage off and then my leg just blew up. So I said, oh, I think I better go to the hospital. And uh, so I ended up uh, having the operation the following morning. And uh, they told me that uh, I was going to be, pro I probably would be lucky to get back by, by mid-January. And, um, and then somehow a reporter got into the, our room and took a picture of me laying in my, the hospital bed. And then uh, big headlines the next day, uh, is this a retirement for Robinson or whatever? And I said, okay, that was my motivation. I kept that, I kept that front page with me. And then um, uh, uh, Gaetan Lafave, who was the trainer then, used to pick me up at the house, seven o'clock in the morning. We'd go down to the forum, uh, work out, and then across it was the Alexis Neon. We could use their pool. And I'd work out at the pool and then go back over and work out some more. And I'd get back home around seven o'clock at night. And I did that for a month. So... I proved them wrong. So I broke my leg August the 8th and I played my first game November 23rd. Wow. With two screws and a bone graft in my knee. You certainly that, brought that hockey player toughness over to Polo. You finished the game and then proved the reporters <laughs> wrong. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they call it toughness. I think they call it stupidity. At least my <laughs> wife does anyway. <laughs> uh, what we do. What was no, it like was, going through the, the rehab and being sidelined from the game you love? Um, 
I had to have bilateral hip surgery two summers ago. Fortunately, well, fortunately, but unfortunately, it was during my redshirt year of college um, as I had transferred. But I mean, mentally for me, that was tough. How did you handle that? It was was really tough, you know, because that was the that was the time of the 89 Canada Cup. And uh, so I that injury, uh, I missed the, the Canada Cup, too. And that's the year that uh, uh, Lemieux and Gretzky played on the same line and uh, they scored that over, big overtime goal. But uh, it was horrible watching. I, I've, I'm a terrible fan. I'm, I, I, don't like, I don't like watching. So it was, it was tough. And made, it, in a way, it, uh, it probably made me work out harder and, and want to prove that I could get back out there and play again. What was the hardest part about stepping away from the game as a player? And do you think staying involved through coaching helped you cope with that? The, I think the hardest part, well, actually, uh, I, I would have liked to actually play another year, but uh, I, had, um, I got hit with a slap shot on my left ankle and uh, I tore probably every muscle and ligament in, my, uh, in that ankle and uh, so, so badly that um, I, I don't know if I could have I could have played because uh, I was still small. That happened just before the end of the season, and my my uh, anytime I tried to work out, my my ankle just blew up. And uh, Pete Demers tried taping it in every kind of which way, and I tried to play on it, but I just I just couldn't go. So uh, I knew then that it was time. But I think for me, taking a year away from the game, I, I worked uh, for. Uh, Bridgestone Fire, uh, Firestone Tire Company. I was their uh, Canadian spokesman, so I traveled all across Canada, meeting people and uh, you know going going to their sales meetings and stuff like that. So I, I enjoyed that, uh, but I didn't even know I wanted to get back into hockey. It, it was it was actually the uh, Jacques Lemaire and Lou Lamarillo that got me back into it, and um, I'm I'm kind of glad I did. It was it's. It was a. It's a, been a great career. A great career of uh, teaching people and uh, uh, you know just staying involved. Uh, and I think that's that's one of the reasons why I've got uh, stayed in it a, this long is that it gave me another avenue to uh, keep up the, the camaraderie and uh, you're still part of being in a dressing room and being part of a, a, a group of guys. Uh, the only thing now is that with so many teams and so many games, uh, I just found that the, the travel is what, uh, I dislike the most. I just, I, I, I know I'd like to keep, I would have liked to keep on coaching. Uh, but I, I just, um, I physically and mentally just couldn't do it anymore. You obviously had a huge impact on a lot of players and I'm sure they're really happy that you were there to coach them. What kind of advice do you give a player who's struggling to jump up from the minor leagues to the NHL or, you know, is struggling with their game? Well, I think uh, as much as I hated uh, seeing myself play, I think a lot of the times just seeing, seeing yourself and what you're doing out there. And uh, it's also a lot of it is delivery. Uh, when, you're talking, when you're talking to somebody and you want to get your point across, uh, the worst thing you can do is say, well, uh, you know, when I, when I played, I would have done this. You, no, 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 you're, 
you're looking at somebody else and, and you say, you have to suggest, well, you know, this, this is the way you're doing something. Um, I think if you want to try success, maybe you should try this or maybe you should try that. And, um, and suggesting uh, something is much easier than, uh, you know, tell, trying to tell them how to do it. And some, some people can't, don't get it. Some people, they can look at a, at a tape 150 times and not get it. So you get, you have to, then you have to go on the ice and, and break, it down, uh, break it down on the ice. But just working with somebody, uh, yelling and screaming and uh, berating some, somebody like uh, some coaches do, it's, I, I, just, I, don't think, I don't think you're going to get the point across. You're going you're gonna to ruin the kid. So uh, I try to be as, as uh, positive as I can. And um, as direct as I can, I think uh, Jacques Lemaire gave me a good point. He said, when you're telling somebody how to do something or uh, trying to teach a drill or so on and so forth, you have to picture that you're talking to eight and nine year old kids. And uh, and uh, that was a that was a, a great, a great uh, bit of advice from him. I think something else you brought up and may not even have realized it is uh, our earlier advice to not compare yourself to others. When you're trying yep. to teach someone else, don't compare them to others either because right. they got to be focused on their process. And rather than, oh, I'm not as good at this as someone else, just like keep it in their mind. You just need to be better than you are like yesterday, you know? I right. think that helps keep people focused rather than seeing someone else who's already so good at it. It seems like an impossible goal. Yeah. No, 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 it's true. And he's got, again, you know, uh, you, you said, you know, that I was a class clown, but I, I think, you, you know, you, uh, they call hockey a game. So that's the way you've got to treat it. Uh, I, think, I think the guys that, uh, that struggle are the ones that take it as a job. It's not a job. It's a game. It's a game. And games are supposed to be fun. So enjoy it. Enjoy what you're doing. Enjoy when it, it, it's not everybody that gets to say they uh, they they do something that they enjoy and they get paid a lot of money for. So. Well, we can't thank you enough for coming on, Larry. Um, it's been great insight talking to you and obviously your playing career and uh, your coaching career and just all the experiences you've gone through and the knowledge that you've gained over the years. Uh, it's been great talking to you and learning more about your story and your whole process. And uh, we can't thank you enough for coming on. Well, I'm very honored that you asked me. Uh, you can thank uh, my my uh, my great my favorite niece Cindy for uh, hooking me up with you guys because uh, Cindy came and she came and lived with us for a few years when back when I was a young guy and she's a she's a great gal and and she's a big fan. Yeah, she returned the favor too. She now billets players. Um, that's yep. how we actually got connected with you. One of our players we trained with, Noah Kimmel, um, he helped us out here. So we have to give a big thanks to them as well. Yeah, that's true. No, you, you guys do a great job. I'm, I'm glad you enjoy it. and I'm glad I could be part of it. Yeah, again, we appreciate it. And best of luck with everything and stay safe during these crazy times. Yeah, yeah, you too, guys. Stay healthy. All right, take care, Larry. All right, ciao, guys. Bye.